Welcome to Old Walls House. It's your main man and host, Old Walls, back again. Got another fun week here, guys. Really looking forward to this one. Got a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week. College basketball is really heating up. Had a fun golf tournament. A lot of good fights, boxing and UFC this weekend. We're going to talk about some stuff that we're going to preview for this coming weekend. Also, got our Flyers update as usual. And, of course, my passing thoughts. It's going to be a really fun one. Also, going to have a special guest this week. Coach Jeff Slanovic of FDU Florham will be joining us to discuss some college basketball. But before we get to all that, touch on some of that housekeeping. I know you guys love it so much. Let's talk about it. Please, everybody, if you can, rate, review, comment, subscribe, share it. It, that would mean so much to me, and, and, and just, again, thank you so much for your continued support and tuning back in. I really appreciate it. I'm having fun, and you guys kind of joining me on this uh, this little thing I'm trying out here is making it even better, so thank you very much. Also, the shirts were shipped. Hopefully, most of you will have your shirts by the time you are listening to this podcast tonight or tomorrow morning. They should be here right at the start of the week. So, again, thank you for those of you who got those. I took a little bit of a wash on that one, I think, but we'll talk about that later. And, again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming back, and let's get started. Okay, so we're going to start off with some college basketball. And as I mentioned, we have a special guest today. Jeff Slanovic, the head coach of the FDU Florham men's basketball team. And Jeff Slanovic is a man who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Jeff Slanovic, a graduate of Misericordia University, where he was a MAC champ, a conference champ on the basketball team in the 2011-2012 season, finished as a 1,000-point scorer for the basketball team, and second all-time in three-pointers made for the Misericordia Cougars. Also, a two-time Mac Freedom champ in baseball in 2011 and 2012. In 2012, he received All-Mac, All-Region, and Capital One Academic All-American honors. And he was also a third sport athlete on the golf team where he was a Mac Freedom Rookie of the Year and a first-team All-Mac selection. Jeff! Oh, I forgot one more thing. He was also the 2020 Mac Freedom Coach of the Year. Sorry, your list of accomplishments accomplishments is so long, I almost forgot one. So, Slano, welcome to the show with us. Thanks for having me on. Boy, was that a uh, a venture back in time there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you got a lot going on there, and uh, it's that's getting to be a little ways away now. You're uh, you're pretty settled into your your head coaching career now. I believe you're in your just completed your third year with FDU? Third, third full season, fourth year. We had a little COVID season last year. Uh, but, yeah, four, four years. Uh, it, it has been a while since those playing days. I realized that when a bunch of my teammates the other day posted the 10 years ago cutting down the Nets picture from that 2012 championship that you mentioned. But it's, uh, it's been fun. I love that I get to do what uh, something that I love every day and uh, – Talking basketball is just a part of that, so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, while we're talking about talking about basketball, let's jump right into it. 
And I know this one, I, I mentioned this one a little bit last week, but I'm really interested to get your thoughts on Jawan Howard and, and the Greg Gard mix-up at the end of that Michigan-Wisconsin game. So what what you kind of think when you were seeing that? Yeah, I, I saw it for the first time, uh, and obviously it's, it's a very ugly look for for the sport. It's not really what, what college basketball at any level uh, is all about, but for me as a as a coach a lot of my thoughts go back to what happens before that that handshake line um Jawan Howard Greg Gard obviously two really good coaches um in their own right uh so I I, I want to talk less about what happened really during the handshake line and more just why did it get to that point and I, and I know you you harped on it last week in in the podcast when I listened and I kind of agree with what you have to say and that's if you're going to coach your team, uh, you've got to coach your team down to the final whistle. Uh, and I think the question that I wish got asked of Jawan Howard that I have not seen get asked still to this point, I know he's still suspended, but it, it, it's why the offense to the timeout if you still got your team out there full court pressing? Um, that's a big problem for me uh, when it comes to, to the entire situation. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, if you're going to press and you're going to press backups, you can't really be that upset, and and this was something you said to to me in in a group chat we're in together is that the team in the losing situation pretty much decides when the game's over. Why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, as a as a coach myself, that's just my view on things. Um, as the losing team, you're the one who, for for lack of a better word, should be the one throwing the white towel in situations like that. Uh, and as the, the the winning team or the coach of the winning team. Uh, it's your job to do what's in the best interest of your players while that flag hasn't hasn't been waved yet. And if you're Greg Gard, uh, obviously they've changed the 10-second uh, timeout rule a little bit where, where you get to call timeout and, and get 10 more seconds. He said that that was part of, of his doing there. But I'm just in the belief that, that if you're the losing coach, when, when you substitute, that makes it time for the other coach to, to kind of be able to do the same thing. When you call off the press, that, that means it's time for the other coach to be able to kind of pull it out and just let that clock run down. Um, and, and obviously in that same group chat, you then shared some other examples of where Michigan didn't do the same thing when they were on the other side of the fence. So um, obviously what happened after the game is, is not uh, a great look for college basketball at all. But for me, I, I think it comes down to – uh, that that why are you still pressing point of view and and if you are still pressing because you want to try to turn that thing from fifteen or sixteen down to twelve because aesthetically it looks better uh, th- then you have to be able to allow the other team to not want it to get to that point um, because as as a coach you don't know when those kids on Wisconsin are going to be in another situation very similar and maybe it wouldn't be this year or, or next year or whatever it is, but you have to be able to put them in a position where they don't want to have to think back to, oh, well, remember when Michigan pressed us and we turned it over twice late uh, and it didn't affect the game, but it, it could affect their psyche moving forward this year and, and beyond for some of those guys off the bench. Yeah, I agree 100% there. I just get my, – my main thing from it is if Juwan Howard wants his team to compete, why is it so wrong for the opposing team to compete in the same scenario? So – yeah, I think without you, question. I think he summed that up pretty well. Did you see that uh, Rex Chapman, who's just a total shithead anymore? Um, he tweeted that they should just ban, get rid of the handshake line, and do away with it completely. What do you think about that comment? 
I, I did see it, and I don't think that uh, that really accomplishes or, or teaches anything, right? As, as a basketball coach, I, I say this to my recruits all the time, that you get into coaching because you want to stay in sports, and coaching is fun, and designing plays, and offenses, and scouting reports. But you end up uh, end up realizing when you are in, in the profession, uh, like Tom Izzo and many other coaches have rallied to say, that those handshake lines mean a lot more than that. And oftentimes there's kids in those handshake lines that you recruited, their parents you might know. And, and a lot of times in those handshake lines, you're, you're congratulating some of those other kids uh, that you might not coach against or as a player play against on what they've accomplished the past couple of years. I know there's been multiple times where I've complimented guys by thanking them that, hey, thank goodness we don't have to play against you guys again uh, or you again. Um, because there's just there should be a level of mutual respect um, out there between the players and the coaches. Hey, we just fought this this thing really hard. We played it to the end, uh, and, and there's not anything that that should stop us from being able to take 30 seconds uh, and shake people's hands. I don't think getting rid of that really teaches anything uh, to, to these young kids who we're supposed to be educating uh, in their four years that they get with us. Yep. You got me in agreement there again, too. So, all right. Well, well, good, good. We wrap that up. Let's uh, let's talk about some more on-the-court stuff. And I think if we're going to start talking on the court, we got to start with Saturday. Uh, Saturday was a day that's – and I saw a stat. There's never been a time where the top five teams have all lost on the same day until Saturday. And then the sixth team, number six in the country and number nine in the country also lost. So, Gonzaga – Arizona, Auburn, Purdue, Kansas, Kentucky, and Texas Tech all go down. There are a couple teams in there that were playing competitive games. For example, Kansas is losing to Baylor. Uh, Baylor's ranked 10th last week. St. Mary's beats Gonzaga. St. Mary's also ranked in the top 25. And Arkansas beating Kentucky. Again, all top 25 teams playing. So those aren't hugely shocking, but for it all to happen on the same day, just, just a wild day of basketball. It felt like every time you changed the channel, or you know, there was a game at noon that was an upset. There was a game at two, four, six, eight. It was just a, it was just a crazy day. What does that tell you about the college basketball season this year? You think? Yeah, I think the first thing, and this should be exciting to to all the listeners. The first thing that that it it should say is that we're probably looking forward to a, another really good NCAA basketball tournament here starting in a couple of weeks. Um, the second takeaway that I have from that, that, that I noticed every time that the TV did flip or Sports Center flipped to another one of these upsets, is that the, the team that was getting upset was always playing on the road. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to, to mention here is that there's a lot of fans out there that, that may or may not understand just how hard winning road games is. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. But every single one of those top 10 teams that went down, yeah, there were some really good opponents in there. Um, Arkansas, a very worthy opponent. Baylor, obviously a, a worthy opponent. Uh, the defending national champions from last year. But, but winning on the road is really hard. Uh, these, these kids are not professionals. They're not used to this all the time. They've got a lot going on. Whether you want to make a joke about it or not, they're still students and they've still got to take classes. Uh, but winning road games is really, really hard, especially when you're one of those top five or ten teams in the country because you know that that's the Super Bowl for a lot of these other places and, and a lot of the students at these other places. So those two things probably my biggest takeaways from, from the games. Yeah, and just to add to that point, 
the other top 25 teams, and again, this is just Saturday, that were playing road games. USC, number 16, was playing at Oregon. They won by one point. Texas, number 20, playing at West Virginia. They won by one point. Murray State, number 19, playing at Southeast Missouri State. They won by two points. And Wisconsin, the number 13 team, playing at Rutgers, they won by five points, and that game kind of spread out a little bit at, just at the very end. So even the teams that did win, again, all on the road and in very tight games. So I think that really echoes what you were just saying there. So with all that being said, uh, the one top 25 team that did kind of win going away on Saturday, obviously, was Duke, who put just a, a hurt in on Syracuse. And this is kind of a good segue because I've seen just about as many Duke games as I've seen any other team. And to me, they look like the real deal. Who do you think some of the top teams are with a real chance to, to cut down the, the nets at the end of March are going to be? Yeah, I, I, I think Duke is probably one of those for sure. What, what they did uh, against Syracuse the other day uh, was unbelievably impressive. I know Syracuse, I believe, had a couple people out, maybe their big guy. Uh, but I, I saw at one point late in the first half, Duke was shooting like 78% or something like that from the field. That's that's obviously going to get it done regardless of, of who your opponent is. Uh, I, I do believe that the ACC is very, very down this year. Uh, I, I, I believe that top to bottom, that league is not very great. I, I don't think that the teams at the top of that league are, are what you typically expect the top teams in the ACC to look like. Obviously, Virginia is having a little bit of a down year. Uh, you've got UNC who's having a little bit of a down year, especially um, before they got into ACC play. Louisville's had a lot of stuff going on within that program. So uh, I, I think Duke is good, and I think they've got uh, a good shot to cut down the nets. But I, I, I do think that I don't know that the ACC is, is the ACC that we probably might have expected it to be. Um, but I, I think they've got uh, uh, as good a shot, really, as, as any as we head into the final weeks here. Uh, Gonzaga, people like to hate on the fact that they're playing in the West Coast Conference. It, they say it doesn't get them ready to play in the NCAA tournament. Their results in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years probably don't. Uh, necessarily agree with that. They've obviously made a, a number of deep runs, uh, have been to the final a, a couple times. Uh, Chet Holmgren is the real deal. Uh, obviously, they've still got the big guy back, Drew Timmy, from last year's team. So I don't think you can you can count them out. Uh, the Big Ten has a number of teams that it seems like by the week, they seem to change which one you would have liked. Uh, I think of those at the top of the of the Big Ten, I, I think I trust Illinois the most. Uh, they've got the big kid Kofi. They've got a couple guards in Frazier and Curbelo that have been around the block and have done it before. Yeah, and before uh, we get too far away from Illinois and the Big Ten, I, I really agree with their guard play. And you see guard play really matter in the NCAA tournament. For whatever it is, year in and year out, it seems like guard play really wins the day come tournament time. So I, I'm really with you on Illinois. Obviously, I've got a little bit of a, a homer kind of liking for Wisconsin. I think they've got one of the best players in the country, and I do think uh, Davidson is a strong guard for them as well. But I'll kind of let you back go, let you back into it here as I cut you off. No, you're you're good, and I do second what you say. It, it, obviously, bigs help you get to March, but it, it does seem like down the stretch, guards. Uh, guards matter more in March. Uh, I think the teams that you've seen win it the last couple of years um, speak to that for, for sure. 
Um, the you, you mentioned Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's currently leading uh, the Big Ten. Johnny Davis having an unbelievable season uh, for them. He's got to be in any running for, for National Player of the Year. You mentioned Brad Davison. He's got to be the point guard on the all-Perry Ellis team. Uh, it feels <laughs> like he's been at Wisconsin for for, for forever, to, to be honest. Um, and then Purdue was a team early in the season in the non-conference that, that a lot of people thought was going to be the team. Uh, they've got a, a big kid inside, Zach Eady, who's unbelievably impressive uh, for a seven-foot-four fella. Um, he falls kind of in the in the follows in the footsteps of, of Isaac Haas, who was another unbelievably big guy for them. That you just watch him and you're like, wow, like how do you handle a big guy like that? But um, that league seems to me to have the most national championship contenders in what we talked about before is a really, really wide open uh, championship and tournament, I think, this year. Yeah, I would agree that they have some of the most contenders. I mean, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, those are three real solid teams from what I've seen. And like you said, it's going to be wide open. I think those teams could, could all make a run. Yeah, you mentioned uh, one of the better games this past Saturday being Kansas and Baylor. Both of those teams, I think, have have real chances as well. I think at the top of of the the leagues, it's definitely the Big Ten and, and in my opinion, the Big 12 in terms of the number of teams that could get it done uh, come that Final Four weekend in New Orleans. Um, Kansas is fantastic. Bill Self is one of the the best coaches in the country year in and year out. I know he gets a lot of crap for some of the losses they've had in the NCAA tournament, but I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for for how far and how consistent really Kansas has been uh, really since he's taken over. Um, And then Baylor, uh, you might see some ugly basketball coming out in, in the Big 12 tournament here because Baylor can just get up into you defensively um, and make your your night a nightmare. Uh, and Texas and Texas Tech can can both do the same. Obviously, Mark Adams is doing an unbelievable job at Texas Tech, taking over for Chris Beard, watching those two teams play against each other uh, a week or two ago. Uh, both of them preventing the ball from going middle, forcing it baseline, incredible help. Uh, the Big 12 just seems like it's going to come down, especially in that tournament. Who can make the, the toughest shots uh, against each other, especially in those semifinal and, and final games? Uh, and then really, if you see one of them in the NCAA tournament, same thing. I, I'm obviously a big Villanova guy, but what Villanova uh, did against, or Baylor did against Villanova earlier this year, uh, holding them to something like 39 or 37 points, um, it, it, it can be a long day for, for you if you're going up against one of those top teams in the Big 12. Yeah, defense, when, you're, when your defense is disrupting the other team and keeping them from getting into a groove and just being able to play their game can go a long way. And like you said, if you only have to score 40 points to win a basketball game, that makes life a, a whole hell of a lot easier. Who do you like as an individual player while we're talking about the Big 12 in that conference? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, I, I think that uh, Oche Abaji, I think that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. it, at, at Kansas is, is really a problem. Um, he seems to have taken the next step. He's their guy. Um, he's been their leader. Obviously, they're they're I believe it's fifth ranked in the country. I, I don't really see how that changes much with all those losses that we talked about. Um, to me, he seems like the one guy uh, specifically that that come, uh, come the NCAA tournament, among those top teams, like we talked about, being very defensive-oriented, um, 
I would feel really good as a coach if, if the ball's in his hands um, trying to make a play late in the game. Yeah, he was the guy I had kind of circled. Um, haven't seen a ton from those teams, but the little bit that I have, he was the guy who jumped off the screen at me. Without question, and I think when you look at Baylor being the other one of those top teams, obviously the Big Twelve has has a couple of them up there. We've we've harped on or talked to, touched on a, a couple of them. Baylor, to me, very very well rounded team. A, a bunch of different scorers. They can obviously do a lot defensively to you to make it difficult for you to to score, but um, a little bit more balanced on the offensive side. I, I don't know that the numbers completely back that up, but when I seem to watch them. They seem to be a, a tough scout with a lot of different people that can go for 10 to 20 on any given night. Yeah, and and when you have that kind of depth of people you can turn to, that really helps in a in when you get to the tournament. I mean, you only get one game at it, so if you're if your top guy's not there and you have people you can turn to, that can pick up the slack, that really comes in handy. Completely now, agree. Now you mentioned uh, your your Villanova team. What do, what do you think about them? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think they're very, very good. And if you look at their record, they've got, uh, I think it's seven or eight losses. You might look at that, and, and when you see the brackets get printed out a couple weeks from now, look, and their record might just not look the same as some of those other top teams that might only have four, five, six losses. But uh, I really believe they're going to come into the NCAA tournament one of the most battle-tested teams uh, in the country. Uh, they've currently played as what the numbers are saying is the, the third best strength of schedule in the country. Uh, coming into the NCAA tournament, they played an incredible non-league schedule that, that was up against a lot of these teams that, that we have mentioned. They played Baylor. Um, we haven't gotten to the Pac-12, but UCLA obviously being one of the, the, the late teams in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, they've played Syracuse, who not look good as of recent, but that that's a good non-league game to schedule. They've played Purdue. They've played Tennessee. Um, they're they're going to be really battle-tested. And like we talked about before, road games are hard to win. Uh, they lost a tough one up at Connecticut uh, last week. They've lost a couple on the road. Creighton always seems to shoot really well at home. Um, and they, they lost there. Marquette has had their number in both games this year. I don't know what uh, – specifically the reason is there but you mentioned good guard play uh known for kind of having some of the best guards in the country every year uh, their one main concern that i will say as a fan of theirs is they aren't the deepest team in the country um you look at the box scores of some of these other teams and they're playing eight nine ten guys their they're starters and top guys don't have to play 36 38 39 minutes and you look at villanova and they have been a little bit banged up. Colin Gillespie's been hurt. Justin Moore's been hurt. Um, they've had a couple other guys who have returned from injury that are role players that uh, are still kind of learning the ropes a little bit. Um, but they've got a game at, uh, against Providence tomorrow, who's the Big East regular season champs, and um, they, they deserve it. Nate Watson is a fantastic post, and A.J. Reeves is a fantastic guard. They've both been with Ed Cooley for a number of years now. Um, shout out to them. I think it's their first Big East regular season championship. So they're going to be the number one seed in Madison Square Garden come championship week. But uh, Villanova's got a chance to go for the season sweep against them tomorrow. Uh, and, I, and I think it's hard to, to say that they're they're not going to be the favorites uh, going into Madison Square Garden. 
Awesome. Well, we got way, way deeper into the weeds on Villanova than I ever planned to, but I should have known when I led you there that that was going to happen. So I think we're just missing one conference of the major conferences that we haven't talked about yet, and that's the Pac-12, where you got Arizona, USC, UCLA. I mean, those top three teams are about as good as any top three teams in any conference, wouldn't you say? Without question. Uh, I think the the question becomes that the Pac-12 always seems to be left out out there. Everybody forgets about them a little bit. Gonzaga becoming really one of the top teams in the country year in and year out. Uh, Mark Few, one of the best coaches in the country. Um, You you seem to forget about some of those Pac-12 teams until um, they do some of the things that USC and UCLA did last year. Uh, Mick Cronin can really coach. Uh, I know there were some skeptics in the beginning of his tenure at, at UCLA and how that hire all went down. And I think he's quieted a lot of them. Uh, Tommy Lloyd at Arizona has done a fantastic job. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I don't know. I've watched one minute of basketball that Arizona has played this year. Um, I do know that they've got a couple of guys averaging in double figures. Um, they have won uh, a number of games. I don't think they're quite as battle-tested in the non-league schedule. I don't think you really expected Arizona to be one of the top teams uh, in the country. Maybe that being some of the reason their non-conference schedule was a little bit lighter. But USC made a run last year. They got knocked out by Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Um, Andy Enfield's made a couple runs in the NCAA tournament now. Uh, I know a big part of that team last year, Evan Mobley, is now in the NBA playing for the Cavaliers, but they've got his brother, um, and and they're going to still be uh, a tough out. Uh, I think they've got a game with UCLA left. I believe they won the first matchup of the season, but that'll be one of the better games here in the second week, or uh, second time going through the schedule in the last week of the regular season here. But, yeah, three very good teams at the top uh, of the Pac-12 that that are going to be tough outs uh, for really anybody, which I think when you talk about all these tough outs, the Sweet 16 and beyond is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, the first couple weekends are always fun, but what can happen is you can get to the Sweet 16 and you're kind of your top echelon teams kind of start to dominate and it kind of takes away some of the fun. But when you have as much, it feels like 1 to 20, almost anybody could put on a little bit of a run and get it done. So I, I think you're right. The Sweet 16 and Elite 8, when you have a nice balance, is some of the best basketball watching weekends you can get. So hopefully we do get that. All right, before we start to run out of time here, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire a little bit. So first, who do you like on Saturday, Coach K's last game in <clears throat> against the, uh, the Tar Heels, hosting at uh, Cameron Indoor? Who do you like there? Yeah, I know you're a big Tar Heels guy. I don't know that Hubert Davis has had the first year that you as a Tar Heels uh, fan probably would have hoped for as they creep towards double-digit losses. I do think they get closer to that number on Saturday. I think, uh, obviously, it's going to be an emotional game. I, I don't see how Paolo Banchero and uh, some of those other Dukies don't send him out in that final Duke-UNC game. Uh, at least in the regular season, you know they could play in the, the ACC tournament. But I don't see how that game is not won. Uh, by Duke, I believe they won the first game fairly handedly. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a it was a bloodbath essentially. Yeah, I I don't know that it'll be a bloodbath. I'm sure UNC and their players in a rivalry game are gonna uh, be ready to go for that. Um, you hope that uh, the Duke guys can 
can come out and, and do it for Coach K and in game at home. He's been on quite the the final year tour here. Everybody's given him something. It's been like when Peter had his final hurrah uh, with the Yankees. But, uh, yeah, I, I like Duke in that game. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. The Heels have been playing a little better, but I think Duke wins it kind of in a runaway again. And the Cameron Crazies will be even more unbearable than those people already are normally. So it's just going to be a a day where you just want to puke all over the TV screen having to watch those losers on the TV. So, all right, last thing before I let you go. Give me your final four picks. Four teams. Don't really need to explain. Just hit me with the four teams you think are heading to the final four. Wow. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with the brackets and who gets selected where yep. and whatnot. Uh, but we'll we'll do our best here. I, I do think Gonzaga is a final four team. Um, I, I think they, they're making their it, it known that they're they're coming into March every year ready to play. Um, I think that they're a final four team. Uh, I'm going to go out on on a limb here uh, and and say Kentucky. Um, John Calipari always seems to have his team ready to go. Come March, um, they've been a little bit banged up injury-wise. Uh, definitely one that can can shoot me in the foot here because um, I think they could probably go out the first weekend just as easily. But Kellen Grady uh, is going to have a good NCAA tournament. You can you can hear that first for me. The Davidson transfer. Um, I do think one of these Big Ten teams is going to go. We talked about them before. I'm going to take Illinois uh, as the one. Like I said, two veteran guards. They've got a legitimate big guy inside. I think they're the better of them. Um, and and you can call me a homer or not. Um, I think Villanova, uh, I don't think they're going to win at all, but I, I think Villanova is going to be my fourth in there. Awesome. I have no problem calling you a homer. I'm going to stick to it today. Villanova, I'm gonna. I'm going to – I'm going to fade the pick there. Villanova's not making it. So you heard it here first. Slano's got Gonzaga, Kentucky, Illinois, and Villanova in the final four. Jeff, I appreciate you coming on. I wish you luck out on the recruiting trail as you're you're starting that part of your, your year. So, again, thank you so much for coming on, and good luck to you in the next coming months out there uh, trying to find some new devils. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, some of the most fun weeks of the year coming up between championship week. Then you get Thursday, Friday of the NCAA tournament. And like we said, I think it's going to be a great second and third weekend of the NCAA tournament this year with uh, the depth that we've got in college basketball. I agree. Well, Jeff, thank you again. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you sometime again soon in the future. Let's do it. Okay. On to some golf now after we covered some college basketball. In the golf world, we had the Honda Classic. That is a tournament played every year at PGA National. It's a fun one in that PGA National isn't the easiest course in the world. They've got the Bear Trap 15, 16, 17. Those two par threes, 15 and 17, make life tough coming down the stretch. You typically get the kind of windy weather in Florida this time of year that that doesn't really allow for the, the low, low scores that we've been seeing I think this is uh, Sepp Straka, who won, finished at 10 under. And I think that's only the third time someone has finished double-digit under par in the last 10 years or so. So it's definitely a course that plays harder. Gives you a little bit different look. I like the birdie fests as much as everybody, but I think it's fun when you have a little mix and match, a little contrasting type of style. So uh, fun tournament. Kind of caught little bits and pieces. Obviously, I was most settled into it on Sunday. 
Daniel Berger built himself a big lead through the first three days. Did make a bogey on 18 to finish on Saturday. So he started with a five-shot lead instead of six. And and right from the get-go, you, you kind of got the feeling that everybody was going to start coming for him. Shane Lowry made a birdie right on one. And then two holes later, Berger gets a, a fried egg, plugged ball right in the bunker, kind of up towards the lip, couldn't do anything with it. Ends up making double, and now we got ourselves a ball game. Now we got Burgers at nine under, Lowry's at seven, down to two shots. Lowry then birdied the fourth, then Berger bogeys the fifth. Now we're tied, and it seems like it's a danger zone for Daniel Berger. It just didn't seem like he had his best stuff early, and it didn't seem like there was it, he was going to find it. And then he bogeyed six right after that. Like I said, just didn't seem like he had it figured out. And then where I thought something was going to change, he hold one on the bunk from the bunker on seven to tie for the lead, and I thought that was going to kind of help him get it, get the ship righted, get it back, get going. He kind of maybe build a lead out and, and take this thing, and he just couldn't do it. It just it wasn't there for him. Lowry had a great chance on the eighth hole. He stuffed one to four feet, ends up missing the putt, then can't do anything there. So you'll notice through nine holes, I'm only talking about Berger and Lowry. It seems like Straka, Sepp Straka, who wins the tournament, was an afterthought. I mean, you had you had Svensson, he was hanging on. He was kind of right around there. He ends up missing a short par putt on 11 and then goes five over on the last date. I believe he finished at two, two under. So he was seven under at the time, just a couple back. Or just one back at the time, I believe, yeah. And then goes five over coming in. Just And again, that's what this place can do to you. It can make it hard to finish out golf tournaments. So we get out to the back nine. Lowry birdies 11. Berger three whams it. I mean, it's technically it wasn't a three putt. He was just off the green, but it's a three putt for anybody who's ever done that. So that gives him a two-shot lead. Now he's at nine under and Berger's back at seven. And now we finally see Straka. Seb Straka finally seems to show up. He birdies 14 and moves into solo second. And I really felt like he wasn't even involved. Like, it was one of those things, like, out of sight, out of mind. He wasn't in it until all of a sudden he was in it. And then Berger, he did it again. Chipped in on 14 for birdie. They got him back to T2. And it was at that point, I don't know, I think what this, this stat was through 14. He'd only made 14 feet of putts at that point in the day. Only 14 feet of putts. His longest putt at the time, I think he'd only made one putt longer than three feet at that time. And I think that's the only putt longer than three feet he's made all day. All, all day. And I think that's a final stat too. So just, just nothing was working for him. Didn't seem to be hitting it great. Wasn't making the putts. Just didn't seem to be his day. Uh, Kitayama, he tried to get himself involved. He made a birdie. On 15 to get it to seven under and be two back. So some people starting to now we got kind of like a four horse race here. Then Straka birdied 16 to tie for the lead. So now he's up there with Lowry and Berger's right there too, one back. So just it started to get really fun. Berger made a great par putt on 17 to keep himself right there in it. And that's when things got a little interesting. The rain started to come down and it was coming hard. And where this really benefited Straka and Kitayama to some sense, he was a little too far back to end up doing anything, but they'd already hit their drives on 18, the reachable par 5. 
So when the rain's pouring, I mean, the ball's obviously not going as far, but they were out in the fairway already. They'd hit their drives before the rain started, so they didn't have to deal with quite as much. So they're out in the fairway. Berger and Lowry are back on the tee. And both Straka and Kitayama knocked it on, which essentially eliminates Kitayama because he was two back of Straka, unless there was some sort of all sorts of shenanigans and a three putt from Straka and then Kitayama making it. They both end up two putting for birdie. So that puts Straka up at 10 and Kitayama at 8. And now Berger has to make eagle and Lowry has to make birdie. Berger split the fairway. He had a very good drive. It was way back of where Straka was. And Lowry hit a crappy drive, hit it left. He has to lay up. Then he doesn't even hit it particularly close on the layup. Berger is, like I said, back in the fairway. He's got to try and hit a wood. Where they had the pin, there was no spot to land that thing. So I don't know if he was trying to hit a big, high, soft cut in there or what his goal was, but he ends up peeling it out under the water. He ends up making bogey. Lowry, again, doesn't hit it anywhere close. Nussel's a putt in there. It almost got there, but didn't quite make it. So your winner at the Honda Classic, Sepp Straka, for his first win on tour and the first Austrian to win on tour. And there was, a, uh, I think you saw Keith Mitchell was hanging around to say congrats to him. He's been, I think, a, a longtime friend. And I think they said he's also been living with Chris Kirk. So uh, a well-liked guy on tour. Uh, in some off-the-course-related stuff, uh, Phil Mickelson did some backtracking in regards to his comments, said that they he, you know, he tried to backtrack in the best possible way, said he didn't know he was on the record, says he understands how they came off was wrong now, and he's getting dropped by everybody. Callaway's out, Workday's out, KPMG's out, he's not hosting the American Express anymore, just a... Kind of a crazy turn of events. I mean, I get I get it in one sense, but in the other sense, I don't. I mean, what? He said the quiet part out loud. That's, that's what he's getting dropped from all the sponsors for. I mean, the Saudi, there's a tournament in Saudi Arabia that a bunch of PGA Tour players go to. That's part of the European Tour, the DP World Tour now, I believe is what they call it. Like, that's part of the tour. This same Saudi group has pumped a ton of money into the Asian tour. There's, I mean, not to not to do whataboutism, but like, there's a HSBC event in China. The HSBC, the WGC event in China thinks it's the HSBC. So, they're not good people either. I mean, they've got plenty of human rights. So, I don't know. It seems all kind of crazy. You wonder if he got, you know, the secret tour suspension. He said he's stepping away from the game. So it, I just, I don't quite get it. But, I mean, I guess I could see why. I, I see why people want to step away. But, man, getting dropped from all your sponsors, that's pretty crazy. I mean, what, because he dared to say stuff against the PGA Tour? I mean, everybody knew the Saudis are bad people. That didn't stop half the tour from going down to the Saudi event or the Asian tour from accepting their money or the European tour, sorry, DP tour from allowing that event to be part of their schedule. So just an odd scenario with that. So we'll see what happens in the long term. We'll see where Phil kind of lands with all this and where everybody else does. I know someone pointed out that DJ didn't have a, an RBC logo on his sleeve when he was seen most recently versus previously. So maybe there's 
sponsors of all these guys kind of quietly taking a step back. So we'll see how everything shakes out, and we'll be uh, we'll be covering the uh, the Arnold Palmer next week as well, and see how that uh, tournament turns out. So let's talk about some fights. What do you say? We had a couple of fights this weekend. Let's start with some boxing. We had Josh Taylor, the undisputed junior welterweight champion, having his kind of homecoming match over in Scotland against Jack Catterall. We had a little bit of a disputed decision here. Josh Taylor wins by split decision, 114-111, sorry, 113-112, and then 113-112 for Catterall. I had it 113-112 for Catterall. So th- this was an ugly fight. I mean, through the first three rounds, there was grabbing, there was holding, it, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Right out of the gate, Catterall caught a good straight left to, to Taylor that seemed to kind of set the stage for the early part of the fight. Before we get too much farther in the fight, the ref, the, the referee in the ring with them was absolutely terrible. He was stopping the fight. He was talking to him, pausing the time, you know, just... It felt like he was getting his 15 minutes in and he was going to get it in however he could. He had two horrible point deductions. We'll get to both of those later. So Catterall ends up knocking down Taylor in the eighth. And it looked like he really wobbled him. So after that, though, Taylor was much more aggressive in coming forward. And it felt like Catterall kind of went into like the prevent. He's like, I've got this one. Just don't go down. And even as Taylor was being more aggressive, I didn't think he was ever in danger of stopping Catterall. He just seemed to be kind of moving forward a little bit more. And basically, the the, ha- the, the way I scored the fight was I scored most of the first half of the fight to Catterall, and I ended up giving the last four rounds to Taylor. There were two point deductions in there late. One in the 10th for, for Catterall for holding which was just absolutely abysmal. And then one in the 11th where Taylor like popped Catterall in the gut on the way back to the to the corner and like it was uncalled for. And I think Taylor's kind of a little bit of a punk from time to time, but like that's not a point deduction. Like just yell at him, let him go. I mean, it was nothing. I mean, I don't think he was like, oh, hey, good. The, the announcers who are... Obviously pro Taylor because it was an ESPN thing and Taylor signed with Tom Brake and ESPN. They're like, oh, that was a love tap saying, oh, good around. I don't think it was that. I think he was kind of being a cock face, but it still wasn't anything to do a point deduction. At least the point deductions evened out. But either way, I score most of the early rounds for Catterall. He has a knockdown. He gets a point deduction later. Taylor gets a point deduction. I have it ended up 113-112. I've gone back and looked at the punch stats on, on those last four rounds. In those last four rounds, Taylor was actually outlanded in the 9th, 11th, and 12th. He was outlanded 9-6 in the 9th, 8-3 in the 11th, and 9-3 in the 12th. And I gave all of those rounds to Taylor. So I think my scorecard may be pretty beneficial to Taylor, and there were still two judges' scorecards that were even more beneficial. The 113-112 for Taylor, I can, I can say, okay, you see different fights, I can get behind that. 114-111? is unreal bad. I think that's saying that Catterall only won four rounds, which is absolutely insane. So Taylor got away with the home cooking. He got the home judges. You know, he's the money fighter. You know, you always wonder about that. So 
He looks like crap, but he got the decision, and I guess that's all that matters. You know, if you look back at every good boxer's career, he gets gifted a decision sooner or later, and this just happened to be the one for Taylor. So he retains his all four belts. He's the undisputed champ. He has said post-fight that he's done at 140 pounds, and he's going to move up to 147. He is a big guy, so that makes sense. I just want to say one thing about him at 147. If he takes that, that performance, and gets in the ring with Bud Crawford, he's going to get eaten alive. Crawford's going to stop him inside a six. He, I mean, Jack Catterall is an okay fighter, and he has sparred with Mayweather and Pacquiao, so he knows what he's doing. But Bud Crawford is a different human being, and if Josh Taylor brings that weak shit into the ring, it's going to get ugly for him in a hurry. Also, in the boxing world, Lawrence O'Coley won a boring fight to defend his cruiserweight title. The most noteworthy thing about that was Anthony Joshua and Israel Adesanya walked to the ring with him. And then over in the UFC, Islam Makachev, I think that's the correct way to say it, Makachev, stopped Bobby Green in the first round. And this dude looks like he's all forces heading forward to... Uh, to be in next in line for a Charles Oliveira lightweight title. I, I saw some odds. I think these are real. I don't know. But they have Makachev at minus 415 and Oliveira at plus 345 if the fight were to happen in June. I don't know if those are actually real. But if they are, that's kind of wild. Oliveira has been a, a great champ in the in the last year or so. And you know Makachev has, has faced some good competition but not top level yet. So we'll see where that goes. Um, we do have a couple of good fights on the boxing side coming up this weekend. We've always got also got UFC 272. So let's just touch on a couple of the boxing ones first. We've got Jose Ramirez versus Jose Pedraza in a battle of the Jose's. That's going down Friday night. Jose Ramirez was the former unified two-belt champ at 140 who Josh Taylor beat to become undisputed. So he's uh, looking for a bounce-back fight. Jose Pedraza is a good fighter. Former lightweight and super featherweight champ, so that's 35 and 30. His three losses have been to just good fighters. Trevante Davis, Lomachenka, and Jose Zapata. So he's kind of towards the back end of his career, and this is it's is probably a good comeback fight for Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez to see if he's still got what it takes to kind of work himself back in. And sounds like there's going to be four belts up for grabs in that division. Also in the boxing world, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez is going to fight Julio Cesar Martinez now. He was supposed to fight uh, Estrada in a rematch of their great fight from back in uh, March of 2021, about a year ago, Juan Francisco Estrada. Uh, Estrada had to back out due to sickness. So Julio Cesar Martinez is going to step up from 112 to fight Roman Gonzalez at the 115. <clears throat> at 115. And this should be a fun fight. couple little guys. Julio Cesar Martinez is just going to stand in front of you and throw punches. Chocolatito's always in good action fights. This is going to be a fun little guy fight. There's going to be punches flying left and right. It should be a fun fight to watch. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's Saturday night. I'll probably have to go dual screen to keep an eye on that with the UFC. Also, before we get over to the UFC, Canelo's deal with the zone that we had talked about before, that is confirmed and is a done deal. It's going to be... Two fights originally with a possibility of a third. Dimitri Bivol at 175 in May. There's no catch weight. There's no rehydration clause. So that's going to be a true 
lightweight title fight. And then as long as Canelo wins and as long as Triple G beats Murata and what, again, I think they're going for April, we're getting the trilogy match in September for that. And then there's a possible third fight in December if he decides to take it. That'd be interesting to see him turn around off those two fights and fight again in, in December. He could uh, he could have a rough fight with with Triple G. I mean, that fight could be brutal. But he has fought in December after fighting him before. So interesting to see. All told, I guess it's worth up to around $160 million. So that is securing the bag, as the kids say. Then we do have the UFC on Saturday as well. A fight I'm really looking forward to. Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. Two guys that used to be friends, used to train an American top team together. I believe they were even roommates, and they hate each other now. Covington says it's because Donald Trump called him and congratulated him after he won the interim uh, title at welterweight, and that Masvidal's jealous. Um, Masvidal says it's got everything to do with Colby Covington trash-talking uh, Dustin Poirier and his wife. So these two... Have plenty of bad blood between them. Masvidal likes to likes to bang. Covington likes to bang. I think this is going to be a fun fight, but I think Colby Covington is gonna gonna take out Masvidal pretty easily in the long run. I think he kind of breaks him down. I even like him to to get a stoppage in the third or fourth round. Um, I've been wrong plenty plenty of times in my life, but I think I think if you had a bet to make. And again, fade the picks. And we're getting to more fade the picks here. But if he had a bet to make, I like Colby Covington by stoppage in the third or fourth. I think he's just on a different level than Masvidal. I mean, Colby Covington has went 10 rounds with Usman. And some people would say it's, you know, 6-4, 5-5 even in those rounds. So I think Colby Covington, if not for Usman, would be the champ in this division. And I just don't think Masvidal has the, you know, the, the ability to stick with him. So, also a couple other interesting fights on there. Greg Hardy's fighting, so anytime he can get punched in the face, that's awesome. Bryce Mitchell's fighting. And Raphael Fizes, I butchered that, I'm sure. He's an up-and-comer at lightweight. So, a couple of good fights here. Now, I watch most fights with my brother. And my brother has the habit for, for liking guys or picking guys. And as soon as he starts to like them or think they're going to win, they lose. Like, Every time, without a doubt, it always happens. So I got him to send me his picks. So this is the ultimate fade the picks parlay that you probably want to throw together is everybody on the opposite side. He likes Survey Spivak to beat Greg Hardy. He likes Kevin Holland to beat Alex Oliveira. He likes Bryson Mitchell to beat Edson Barbosa. He likes Fizes to beat Rafael Dos Anjos. And he likes Colby over Jorge. So if you like money... The play is to probably parlay parlay that and then sprinkle all the individuals in there on the opposite side. So really looking forward to that that whole event, and it should be a great main event, and uh, we'll definitely be talking about that come next week. Time for a Flyers update. What do you say? We had three Flyers games since we last spoke to each other. We had a game on Monday facing the division-leading Hurricanes. Never led in this game. Every time the Hurricanes scored, we would match it. Forced overtime. And a really good battle. Just couldn't get it done. Lost in overtime. But a game where it looked like a team that looked decent. They just didn't look like crap. Which 
is exactly what they looked like on Tuesday. I don't want to say they looked like crap. The score makes it seem worse than it was. They kind of hung around until the third. It was 1-1. They go down 2-1, middle of the third. They have to pull the goalie. Two goals get thrown in at the end. It just At the end of the day, you're just like, gosh, that feels more normal <laughs> as opposed to them kind of hanging around on Monday and forcing OT. But then, hey, on Saturday, the Flyers won. The Flyers won. Not, I haven't been able to say that much since I've been doing this podcast. But got off to a great start. Claude Giroux, the captain. 11 seconds into the game, he gets the Flyers started. And then at the, the end of the first, about a minute 30, minute 20 left in the period, Atkinson tacked down another goal. And uh, the Caps scored a, a goal in the second period. But then from there out, the Flyers hung on to take a 2-1 lead over a good team in the Caps. So we get to say Flyers win. That's always fun. Also, before we get away onto the next kind of topic here of our Flyers, the black sweaters, I think the sweaters is what uh, what the hockey people say, the sweaters. The Flyers' black sweaters, those things are pimp. Those things are awesome. So if anyone wants to get old walls a Christmas gift, just, I don't know, hook me up with a Cam Atkinson black jersey. That would be pretty cool. So we're nearing the point of the season, closing in on the trade deadline, and Every indication is that Claude Giroux is going to get traded, I think. Uh, I'm not super up on that, but it seems like he's still got a lot of juice left in him and that plenty of playoff teams would like to to add that piece. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. I think he's closing in on his 1,000th game with the Flyers. So I know he has a no-trade clause or a no-movement clause, I think they call it in hockey. So it'll be very interesting to see how that all boils out. So... One and two on the uh, the week for the Flyers. We'll have to uh, see what happens next time they're back in action. Hey, everybody. It's MJ with another 60 seconds with MJ here on Old Wall's house. Wally, what's up? Feels like it's been a while. Um, I know not a lot of sports going on, but uh, my 45 seconds here today is about baseball. Um, and I'm going to preface this in saying I'm not a baseball guy, Wally. I don't know if you know that, but you know the Braves are my team, World Series champs. But this whole lockout thing to me is sort of pathetic and I don't know how you feel about it Wally but um, baseball is kind of falling off the the mainstream popularity and I just think it's it's doing itself such an injustice um, with the players and owners not getting a deal done and really not even being close and really to be quite frank it's a shame you know baseball is a beautiful game I know a lot of people respect it but uh, interested to see how you feel about it and uh, it's very 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 sad MJ gone. Have a good day, guys. Thanks for hitting us up with that again, MJ. And yeah, it is a shame. Not much of a baseball guy myself either, but I hop in every once in a while when the Indians would be good. You know, I, I followed them pretty good for those couple of years there in 2016, 2017, 2018. You know, World Series run, the 22 wins in a row. So I. Every once in a while, if I have a reason I follow baseball, have it in the last couple of years. To me, the games are slow and it takes too long. But every once in a while, if something good is happening, I, I like to jump in. And this lockout, like MJ said, it's it's sad. It's It seems like they're not even trying. Like every report you see is that nobody's close. The players union hates this. The ownership group hates that. They're not even coming to the table. They don't have any high hopes so 
it is it's just disappointing to see that and it does feel like baseball is is struggling to keep fans and the popularity is waning so you wonder what kind of damage this will do and i'm it's not helping me as a guy who will occasionally watch baseball it's not going to do any good things for me obviously so yeah, I'm in agreement with you there, MJ. It's sad to see what's happening, and you know maybe they can figure it out and not miss too many games, but I think today may even be the deadline. So, yeah, disappointing to say the least. Okay, everybody, passing thoughts times. I'm going to start off with some travel, travel woes I had over this past week. So before we get into the woes part, let's just start with this. People who stand up, the second the plane lands, are psychos. And for whatever reason, you can kind of pick them out beforehand too. Probably because they're psychos. Like, I, I'm standing in the you know the waiting area right before I board a flight, going from Minnesota down to Kansas City. So I'm on a decent-sized plane. And I just there's this dude, he's just catching my eye. I'm like, this dude looks like a weirdo. And then, of course, we land... And what's the first thing the dude does as soon as you can? He stands up and then he stands in the, like, right in the aisle, like, the whole time. It's like, dude, where are you going? You're not going anywhere. Oh, on that same flight, some lady from the very back of the plane is just trying to sprint up through. And she's, like, yelling at people. Not yelling, but she's like, oh, I need to go. I need to go. Like, trying to get out in front of people. I don't even think there's connections in Kansas City. Like, I could be wrong, but I don't think that's a connecting airport, especially if you come from Minneapolis. Like, if you come from Minneapolis, like, that's a big connecting airport. Like, you're getting to your final destination. So, people who stand on planes are psychos is the, the main point of that little story. So, so now I'm out and I get myself out to southwest Kansas, uh, a wonderful town by the name of Garden City. Really, really, actually, it's not that small of a town. Not, not any smaller than where I grew up, but they have... They have an airport there, and this airport isn't big. It's two flights in and two flights out every day. You walk right out onto the tarmac and, like, go up a ramp to get on the plane. But that flight was through Dallas, and the day I was flying, Dallas had, like, all these ice storms. So my flight out of there gets canceled. I scramble. I get rebooked on a flight out of Dodge City, Kansas, famous for Wyatt becoming a lawman there. So when I get there... I'm, like, driving in, and I'm, like, wondering if it's even the right spot. Like, it's, like, gives you the notice that you're on, like, airport property, and there's literally, like, cows grazing on what is must be airport property. And then I pull in, and this place is wild. Like, it's like a building. It's just like a, like, it looks like almost like a two-room schoolhouse. So I walk in the door. I can't even find if there's actually even, like, a security checkpoint. So I'm like, okay, I guess maybe, you know, small airports I've been in them, like not all the time. So I got there a little early, like I was like an hour and 15, hour 20 early. And so I'm like, all right, I'll just sit down. Well, I look, start looking around. There's a coffee machine in this lobby, a microwave, you know, you can bring your own, you know, heated up burrito from the gas station and just, you know, make your own lunch there in the, in the lobby. So now as I'm in there, like, this one dude shows up and it's, you know, an airport. So I put the mask on. I play by the rules. Don't need to get told I can't get on the plane. This dude just shows up, no mask, checks his bags. No big deal. Another guy shows up not wearing a mask and his wife is with him and she puts one on in the airport. And he's like, oh, do I have to wear one of those? And she's like, yeah, we're getting on a plane. 
And this dude's like, oh, I didn't bring one. So he goes over and, like, asks the people at the counter. He's like, hey, can I get a mask? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. So this other dude who's been sitting over in the lobby with no mask on is like, oh, shit, do I need one? He, like, walks up and he's like, do I have to have a mask on to fly? And they're like, oh, yeah, FFA regulation. He's like, oh, I thought that shit was done. So these people are just totally out on masks, totally didn't even know to wear them. So now I'm looking around. I'm like, when do we get, like, through security? Because, like, not that we board in 30 minutes. The plane is supposed to take off in 30 minutes. And finally the dude walks out from behind the counter. He's like, hey, uh, we're going to get on security. We're going to go through security right now. And if you need to use the bathroom, use it on this side because we don't have a bathroom in the other side of security. So there was that. Get through security. I'm sitting in the lobby on that side, and they don't even have the lights on. Just wild, wild place, this Dodge City Airport. So we walk out onto the tarmac, and no no gate or anything. There's eight of us on the plane, so the, the lady working, like, the, the gate counter is like, I ah, just board whenever. Um, I'm carrying, like a carry-on bag, but that never fits on the small planes. And I get on the plane and these, you know, overhead bins are tiny. So I look at the flight attendant. I'm like, what do you guys want me to do with this? She's like, ah, there's just eight people on this plane. Just put it wherever you want. I'm like, oh, okay. So just a, just a wild experience. Ended up going to Denver and getting home, but just a, a, a wild experience of flying. So that was, that was really something. So moving on a couple of NFL notes. Uh, Troy Aikman apparently is going to go to Monday Night Football is the rumor. Five years, 90 million, so like 18 million per year. That'll be wild if that happens. And then I guess Fox is looking at Sean Payton to replace him. So all will be very interesting to see where any of that goes. Um, I've seen a couple of things where the Packers are, are clearing a lot of cap space. I've seen like 18 million one day and then another 11 another day. So... They're trying to do what they can, but I guess the new scuttlebutt is that Rodgers wants $50 million. I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, that doesn't seem, I don't know, just seems weird that that's his, his ask is he wants $50 million a year. I mean, that doesn't seem like the, the way to get a winner in Green Bay. So Packers also are going to stick with Mason Crosby, the kicker. That seems like a mistake to me. He's had a lot of struggles this year. He's getting up there in age. I believe they've got a kicker that they protected, I think is the, you know, you can protect people on your practice squad so that they can't get picked up, that they're ready for, you know, the future. So I don't know. If you're looking to clear cap space, that would probably be a way to do it, I would have to think. Also, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals apparently have kind of patched up any of their disagreements. So just another note there. So Done with the NFL notes there. Uh, Ten years ago, I think this was on Saturday or so, maybe Friday, was the 10-year anniversary of Pete Weber and his strike to secure whatever um, whatever PBA event he was in. Boomer's pumped to hear about Pete Weber, and that was his famous, Who do you think you are? I am! Just an incredible clip. I think think you should go look it up if you haven't ever seen it. It's just great. It's like a minute long. It's awesome. Uh, also this week on Monday, as this is probably about half over already, it'll be, it's probably done actually. Um, the Seminole Pro member, that is like a tour event with the people involved. The list of people that play in that are crazy. I mean, Cameron Champ, Billy Hurley, the Corda sisters. Who else we got? Justin Leonard. 
Paul McGinley, Shane Lowry, Martin Keimer, Chris Kirk, JT Poston, Sergio DeChambeau, Schwartzel, Poulter, Adam Scott, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Tommy Fleetwood, Louis Eustazen, Jimmy Walker, Matt Kuchar, Cameron Percy, Bubba Watson, Kevin Kisner, just a who's who of tour stars playing the pro member down there. So that's a crazy event. I would love to be able just to see what all goes on at that event sometime. Walking the dog this morning. And it's a, it's a nicer day, so the ice is kind of, you know, thin on top, and then there's water flowing under it now in, in places where there is. And, of course, at one point, Boomer walks over it, crashes through the ice into the water below. It's still only, at this point, like 25 degrees because it's in the morning. And this dog is like, I will dive in every little piece of water I can find, just ready to, like, dive into freezing cold ice water when it's 25 degrees out. Every time he saw ice, like a patch of ice where there could be water under it, ran over and jumped on it trying to break through. So my dog's a psycho. I was, uh, Friday night, was playing uh, playing some Fortnite with some of the boys, and uh, one of the guys had on a 2000s alternative playlist is what it was called. It was hitting us with a lot of that like pop punk stuff from the early 2000s. There were some bangers in there. So don't sleep on the early 2000s pop punk. That is just some fun music to listen to. Also, a lot of emo shit in there, too. So some of it's really fun, and some of it is really emo. So also, what have I been watching? What have I been watching? Uh, I, like I said, finish all my shows, so I'm, I'm in need of a show. Someone suggests a show to me. I think I've, I can put a question in the podcast. So if, if I'm going to put a question in, say, what show should I watch next? Give me your suggestions. Caught a couple of – caught three movies that I, I – that, Locked into my mind this past week. Saw The Replacements was on. Recorded that, so I watched that. Replacements is a great movie. Shane Falco. Keanu Reeves is Shane Footsteps Falco. Gene Hackman's the coach. A bunch of just funny teammates around. I I, I really like that movie. I think it's very underrated. The one thing I really thought was funny, the kicker is kicking a 40-yard field goal. And Madden's in the booth talking about what a long field goal is that he made. So just so much has changed. And I think it's like a 20-year-old movie now that I think about it. Also, The Roommate and I watched Super Troopers last night. What a great movie. That movie holds up. Check that one out again. If you haven't seen it in a while, you won't be disappointed. And one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, saw this movie on TV yesterday as well, A Few Good Men. That, for me, is a movie when you're just watching TV with nothing else going on. You don't have a purpose or anything in particular you're watching for. If I see that movie on, I, I put it on. It goes on every time I watch to the end. I love that movie. Like I said, one of my absolute favorites. The only problem is the roommate hates it. I mean, if there's one quality about her that I have to struggle with, and I think it's the only one. Otherwise, she's perfect, but she doesn't like a few good men. It really, it hurts me deep in my soul. Actually, her kind of movie choices in general, because she doesn't like Ocean's Eleven either. So, sorry, roommate, your movie choices are questionable. So, yeah, that was everything I had for my passing thoughts this week. Like I said, let me know what you guys think I should watch, and uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Okay, everybody, closing time. Gather up your jackets. Move it to the exits. We're getting out of here. We will be back next week. Like I said, UFC 272. We got to cover that. Those boxing matches. We've got the Arnold Palmer Invitational. We've got the last week of regular season college basketball. 
And then we'll be probably talking a little bit about the the conference tournaments. Thank you so much to Coach Slanovic for coming on and, and spending some time with us. We'll, we'll hopefully have you back on again soon. Good luck on the recruiting trail as you try and uh, fill out the, the roster of some new Devils. And uh, thank you guys again. I appreciate your listening. I appreciate you guys who got shirts. Thank you so much. Look forward to talking again next week, and uh, hopefully you can get back on and, and check it out. So thank you very much. Peace.